Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome, Zinger Nation. Hey, 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 hey. J-Rod, always a pleasure to see you. We've got Stefan Rust here. We've got Tim Frost. We've got Rox here from Women in Blockchain. I'm excited to see you all. Tony, good to see you, too. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much. Hey, Floki is here, too. Hello. Hello to the Floki community. Thanks for joining. Floki, good to see you guys. Thank you for joining. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Nice week. What is quickly becoming like the, the my favorite part of my whole job. <laughs> That's true. That's it's true. true. I love these. Yeah, me too. I, I love speaking with you and with the community. It's great. It's great. I mean, honestly, what I love about the show we have going on here, sorry, the events, I want to call the show, though it's Twitter, uh, Twitter space. What, we'll have to discuss that. What I love about Open Mic Crypto is that we've got a big tent show here where we can address all of these different parts of the Web3 community in a way that you just don't kind of find anywhere else, in a way that's more uh, that's more interactive. Yeah, we're, totally. We're yeah, a, I agree. It's amazing we're, we're to, give it a, to have like real-time feedback, speak with every, everyone, and also host a space open for everyone in the community to speak up. You know, it's it's amazing. Absolutely, and you know, like I, I feel like here you might want. Let's let's, let's bring down the uh, um, the the music a little bit. I, I think that uh, you know, we're we're li we're leaning into the potentiality of Web three in this very show because it is a two way communication. Now it doesn't have an economy around it and so forth. It doesn't have a lot of things that might qualify it as being actually Web three. Maybe more like two point five, but still pretty happy with it. Well, um, so, soon, soon yeah. it will, it will shift to uh, Web three Twitter, right? It's like going in that direction. You want to talk about Elon Musk buying Twitter, Jared? <laughs> I'm not sure. I want to enter that rabbit hole. <laughs> well, Ste Stefan's gonna ha has some thoughts on it. He wants to talk about the way it's gonna open up. Um, the way it's going to open Please. up uh, the crypto, the use of crypto on, on, on the uh, platform. Please, but I first, got let, my... me, let me tell you to all our speakers that don't be afraid of unmute yourself, dive into any conversation. Feel free to interrupt with respect. Uh, this is for everyone to, to talk, so don't be afraid of unmuting yourself. And let's begin with. And, and people, everyone with us, ask questions, raise your hands. This is meant to be participatory. We are here for you, putting some of the brightest minds in the Web3 space, including the great uh, Stefan Rust, who is uh, founder of uh, Laguna Labs. So we are very thrilled to have you today, and it's great to speak to you again, Stefan. Super glad to be here, and thanks for inviting me, and, and look forward to juicing this up. And by the way, this is on Twitter, and this is Elon's platform at this moment. I know. Yeah. I'm just not happy about it. Huh? We're all working for him. <laughs> <laughs> and we're growing his community, exactly. Yeah, yeah and we are, we, we are expected to pay to be verified. <laughs> <laughs> well, not yet. At the moment, this is all for free, right? I mean... For at the moment, I mean, at you the know, moment. but 
But let's let's talk about how he's going to integrate crypto because I have to admit, I mean, honestly, like PFP verification is a very big deal to a lot of people out there. I notice I just have my little face up there, not not a not a cartoon character, but a lot of people are very into the NFTs. Obviously, yeah, uh, I'm more of a, I'm more of a one on one guy, so I know that's a big deal. But what else is he going to do to help bring the platform into Web three? I don't know. I mean, you look at what he's doing um, with payments, right? At the moment, we have a whole payment mechanism that's set up there. And and previously, it's only been around Bitcoin and it's been around Lightning Network, right? I think what we might see is acceptance of other tokens. In order to be able to do that, I need to have a payment gateway and payment rails that support additional crypto assets. That's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. How's that going to evolve? What's that going to look like? And the great thing is, I think we will see it support other assets and, and not only Bitcoin. And um, yeah, which which will be exciting. Yeah, and the impact uh, of the all the communities is huge. Uh, yeah. Which tokens do you think it will be the first one? Well, I think I think everybody's anticipating uh, yeah. Doge, and he's yeah. he's mentioned Doge a number of times, right? He's always talked about. You know, Dogecoin, he loves Dogecoin. Why? Because it's a people's token. It, it's owned by no one, right? It's fully it's, it's fully owned by the miners that are out there. Um, the mining of it, it's not exactly very efficient and very rewarding at the moment. But it is cuddly. It is a nice, cute dog. And it res- resonates with a larger, new set of population that don't yeah. really care what the rails look like. How does blockchain work? What does it look like, right? But I do see an emblem on the coin and it's not a picture of George Washington or whoever, Benjamin Franklin. It's a picture of a dog. <laughs> That's true. Amazing. Or, or or maybe Shiba Inu, right? Which is a cat. So it could be that too, right? Well, Cats we have here Floki. Floki too. <laughs> oh, Floki too. There you go. Look, we got Floki. <laughs> Shout out to Floki. Yeah. There you go. It'll be interesting. So you're expecting him to accept these payments specifically around the different premiums that that he uh, wants to put in place when he figures that out around Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I think not only that, I mean, you'll see it evolve significantly, right? If if what he's been advocating and what he's been talking about, this is a, a longer roadmap, but I think he's trying to build out Twitter to become the sort of super app. It's got 500 million active. It's got 500 million users of which it's got a very highly monthly active user base. If we can authenticate that active user base, if you can verify that active user base, if you can tie wallets to that active user base, you can then provide payment capabilities for verified or authentic services, peer to peer payments for purchasing and commerce in terms of social commerce, how is the Twitter platform going to evolve in the next two years? It's going to be super exciting. And you already see he's taking video onto the platform where it has been taken off and shut down. Vine, he's announced that he wants to bring Vine back to the forefront again. And Vine was an acquisition that Twitter made, which supported video capabilities inside Twitter. So you think that maybe Twitter will start getting into TikTok and YouTube Shorts kind of business? 
Yeah, possibly. Well, I mean, if, if, if I look at the, the trends associated with Vine and I'd say uh, the talk about activating that, then yeah. That would be wild. I mean, Very look at, cool. look at, if you go, if you just go down the stream, you see all these GIFs, you see all these video clips. Why shouldn't those video clips be taken with a Twitter video camera versus having to be clipped on, on YouTube or taking a TikTok feed and putting that up on here, right? True. Yeah, I think I think you make a very good point with um, we already link so many videos on Twitter that take people to other apps. So having yep. that be just in one place, like like he's saying you're referring to WeChat, he wants to have the pay digital payment services. He wants to have the videos here on Twitter. We already switched so much for, between app to app. It, it kind of would be nice to have everything in one central place. Since most of us spend our time on Twitter, I think the video feature is something that we would all really appreciate. And honestly, it, it, it would engage us more as well. Hey, and what do you way, think about the timing? Yes, please proceed. No, I'm thinking the the one thing we don't have to worry about with Elon. This is not how he he operates. He's not he's not worried about making money in the short term. So I think, you know, incremental charges coming in. Uh, he's he's going to focus on on building the best social payment platform that that uh, the market has to offer. So I, I think that we can pretty pretty confident he's going to embrace crypto, NFT, or kind of everything exciting about it. And he will push the envelope. So I I, I think. You know, to me, I'm only excited about but the the future prospects for for Twitter and, and everything that's going to come in the, the payment channels. I am I am glad if he has his uh, his expectations correctly arranged because I don't think he will make money short term. I don't think it'll make money long term either. But I, I'm happy to be the uh, the cranky old man on the topic. I I, I don't know. I, I don't I have totally good feeling about it myself. But I would love to see more Web three integration. That's definitely worth. Uh, Something that would be worthwhile. Um, let's go ahead and uh, and you know, does anyone have any comments or questions about the transition? Any, anyone have feels about uh, moving? Uh, you know, becoming a Musk's Twitter, which uh, you know clearly we already are. Was going to solve world hunger. Decided to buy Twitter instead. It's good. <laughs> that's that's my opinion. I'm doing my best to stir the kettle. Um, let, let's let's go ahead and and talk to Yield App. Um, and with us for Yield App, we have is that you, Tim? Is uh, are Tim, you the? Yes. Uh, yeah, how are you Tim. doing today? I'm so doing, you guys just raised good. You just raised a whole bunch of money, so you must be feel you are the CEO of Yield App, um, and you just raised. 35 million DeFi fund with with Tro. Well, you launched a 35 million dollar DeFi fund with Trovio Group. I know that, like, um, you know, you uh, you have the distinction of being a sort of a holdout from uh, from centralized finance. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about how things have been going this year for Yieldly. It's a tough space right now, isn't it? There's been some disasters this year. You've got, you know, people's grandmas telling them about uh, about about Luna, about uh, Terra Luna. Um, you know, what do we do with this much uh, this this much uh, a fear going on in the market? 
No, no, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of questions here, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to just um, dive in. So yeah, I'm the, the, the founder of the Yield app. We're a, a digital wealth management platform and we drive yield and uh, a big source of our yield is, is through decentralized finance. And we, we run this like a, a managed portfolio. We got a, a full uh, DeFi portfolio management team that has, as you said, it, we've, we've navigated very uh, difficult market and especially the, the, the summer months, there's a lot of fruitful yields out there in the market that I think so many people fell, fell victim to uh, Terra Luna was, was the biggest one. And, um, you know, part of that, that risk management approach that we, we take to, to managing capital, it's just a, a very conservative uh, DeFi approach. And, and with that, yes, we, we did officially launch a co-launch today with, with Trovio, a kind of regulated um, DeFi fund and, and, you know, something we want to be able to, to offer to institutional capital from, uh, from around the world. So we're, we're really excited about that and help to be a part of the, the evolution of DeFi. You know, is that kind of what this is about? Is this the, is this about bringing real institutional money in? I I have had conversations <laughs> specifically when I'm talking to billionaires, honestly, um, where I, where I'm like, but institutional money has already moved into this space. We talked about yep. it all throughout the bull run. I had one guy just kind of look at me and be like, no, not any real way. No, they haven't moved in. So what's it going to take? Is that what you were trying to do? I think it's many things, but I, I think this is a, a, another step right now. I mean, there, there's many barriers for for, for institutional capital to, to truly move in. I, you know, I think just the, the uncertainty around the the, the 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 proof of coins. Obviously, KYC has always been a been a big aspect that we have the travel rule coming in, and just really understanding it. It's it's quite you know it's quite nascent uh, just overall in its its infancy. So. Um, you know, we've we've taken a more traditional uh, fund management approach, risk management systems. We have full administrators, so so doing this as you would have with any any regulated uh, hedge fund. So we, we've you know successfully uh, launched one today with uh, with Trovio, and I said, which I think we're we're at the very beginning stages of of true institutional capital moving into the space. They're all interested. I, I know. Stefan on the line. I know he has conversations all, all the time as well, but it's, uh, I guess it's, it's all part of the journey. I mean, I, yeah, I, I just echo that. Right. I think what Tim's saying is, 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 uh, is, you know, is, is very accurate. You've got two fronts that are moving into crypto land. You have the sort of decentralized finance world, which already is governed by uh, higher standards it's more transparent it's it's driven by contracts and code that uh, uh, you know forces the application towards the governance of a decentralized world however it is not the most user friendly it doesn't necessarily always comply to the existing legacy infrastructure and processes that have been put in place and for the legacy world to enter into the sort of DeFi world, they're looking for these trusted bridges that can help them, you know, uh, straddle the, the two fronts. I need to work my process, but I'm looking for yield in the DeFi world and the opportunities and the cost savings and the benefits into that world. I'm not ready and I don't have the processes and I'm not compliant yet 
to jump and leap straight into a DeFi world. However, I'm looking for partners that are equally going to be regulated and equally governed and should adhere to similar processes and similar guidelines as I do in order to enter into DeFi on my behalf and on uh, for me. And that's where sort of the Yield app comes in really handy, where they're compliant with these kind of restrictions, uh, compliant with these governance and licenses needed in order to engage with those traditional finance parties, yet have savage and, and a, a savvy, you know, sorry, sorry French word, um, on, uh, are, are knowledgeable on the DeFi world and so can participate in that. And I think that's one angle um, that, that this path and how these billions of assets, not necessarily what the individuals are doing, but what these asset managers, pension funds, endowments, family offices are looking to do and who own Let's face it. I mean, they own maybe 80% of the world's wealth today. Uh huh. Yep. That, that is, it is, it is fascinating. That is, uh, there is a lot going on there. You also, uh, Stephanie, I'm going to ask you about it because you're on the phone here uh, after all, um, or on this, in the spaces, you recently launched the first, uh, supposedly, uh, recession proof or, or inflation proof uh flat coin yeah um and, and on a limited basis and i believe in the uk and the us how is that limited rollout going yeah we're getting a lot of feedback um and it's definitely targeted at more decentralized um defi let's call them dig, you know decentralized generation degens um, and so we're very targeted on that. It's all non-custodial. It's smart contracts driven. You need to have and know how to use MetaMask wallets and these decentralized wallets. Um, but we've had a thousand plus feedback in terms of users telling us how to improve the site. So we're optimizing the websites, um, the interactions and the buttons. But the feedback's been really positive. Um, and if you think about it today, there is no hedge today against inflation and inflation is pretty rampant everywhere. We've had $9 trillion alone in the U.S. be printed in the last two to three years. You've got gold. Gold hasn't acted as a hedge. If you look at the price of gold over the last year, it's come down significantly instead of hedging ourselves against inflation. Bitcoin has become an investment asset. It's no longer. It's very volatile. So and right. stable coins are pegged to the US dollar, which is inflation based. So we've tried to build something that's pegged to the cost of living. And it's um, that's what we're bringing to market. And we're three months in and we're sort of optimizing the user experience and trying to scale this better. And sorry, how, how does that exactly work or like basically like on basic terms? Can you explain so a bit more about it? Yeah, so we took the U.S. dollar as the, the core currency. And what we've done is as of July 1, 2022, we have taken a timestamp as to what inflation was at that point, giving it 100. And going forward, um, since that date, we've had a certain amount of inflation. And over time, we just take the U.S. dollar plus Trueflation. We leverage Trueflation as the source of information for inflation data. Um, Trueflation tracks 18 million items, price changes across 18 million items on a daily basis. 
from 50, 60 plus different sources and working together with like Nielsen and Penn State University on the calculations uh, on how to calculate the inflation or true inflation. Does it, doesn't that make this, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to stir the pot here more, but yeah. doesn't that make this an algorithmically backed stable coin? It's not algorithmically backed. It's, it's collateralized. So everything's over collateralized. So we have more than 100% of Nuon in circulation. More than 100% of that is backed by different assets. So on average, about 130% collateralized. So whatever 100% in circulation, you have, you know, plus 30% of that is going to be over collateralized. And that collateral is going to come in the form of WBTC, Ethereum, Tether, USDC, BUSD, and other assets, crypto assets. Well, that that's awesome. It'll be really interesting to see how that works out. I mean, honestly, from my perspective, anything that gets us away from having to pump around these uh, 20% gains, which like in, in the traditional finance, we would call that a pyramid scheme that would that would, you know, that, that would be unsustainable. So I've been yeah, kind of wondering how the space is going to move forward without being able to pump up these unrealistic gains. We're, we're, we're using proof of reserve from Chainlink to validate at any point in time. You have an independent, real-time um, sort of auditor, if you will, for lack of a better name, that is a verifiable truth that is going out and tracking how many nuons are in circulation and then what is the collateral there. And so the proof of reserve is going to make sure that we're adhering to um, the specific governance requirements. It's been audited by CoinFabric that has looked at all of our smart contracts and audited all of those. Um, and we have insurance as well. So Nexus Mutual is going to be providing insurance associated with the collateral that's out there. So we're trying to make this as, as safe and as solid as we possibly can. Hmm. It'll be great to see if it works out. I mean, having... Um... You know, crypto that is meant there to, that is meant to be there to be a, a stable store of value for people and a stable transfer of value rather than all this speculation. I see that as the maturation of the space. So I, I wish you luck with that project. I hope it works out. Well, um, let's let's move on and uh, go on to another guest. Cause we've got so many topics uh, to uh, to cover here. And uh, uh, how about House of Fine Art? Who is here from House of Fine Art? Who am I talking to today? Did they ever come? I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they did not come in. All right. So no House of Fine Art uh, art here today. Shrapnel, talk to me. I love to talk to games. How are you? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having us up here. Really excited to be chatting with you all. It was a super interesting uh, finance conversation I just got to listen to. I, I love to talk. I love to talk GameFi. I, I'm I'm kind of half a dev myself. I, I'm with a, a team that's developing a little indie MMO um, in UE4. Um, so when's your beta? When are we gonna gonna get your hand or get our hands on your game, Tony? Oh my God! Straight for the jugular. When's the beta? Um, went, we will, well, we that's will our... like like a like a gaming like a gaming <laughs> journal, which is how I'm a, because I've I've done gaming journalism. So yeah. 
Nice, nice. You friends with uh, the crew over at Kotaku, Jason Sharon, those guys. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not as good, but I read their stuff. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah. So um, we will have uh, we will have a um, first playable uh, behind closed doors um, at GDC this year, uh, or sorry, 2023, and then uh, at Consensus uh, 2023, we will have um, uh, what we're calling MPX One Multiplayer Experience One, um, and that'll be a limited time uh, player event where you'll be able to hop in and uh, some of our community will be able to play our, um, our first multiplayer experience. So um, yeah, looking like early Q1 uh, 2023. So for a, for what we're, what sounds like a, like a closed alpha or like a backers alpha, or is it more like a closed beta? It'll be more, you know, it'll be, it'll be more like a bat, like a backers alpha. That's a good way to think about it. Um, and so what, what, what engine are you working in? We're, we're, we're in Unreal House. Okay, you that's cool. Un- Unreal is is a uh, powerful and maddeningly complicated platform to work on. How do you get Web three audiences to understand the lead time to develop a AAA quality game? You know, it's a good question. That's part of the reason why why I, I just recently joined uh, Shrapnel about a month ago, um, and what we've uh, what we've found is that. Um, the Web3 audience that we've cultivated um, is largely the, the segment or the Venn diagram of uh, Web3 folks that are also core gamers um, that, you know, they're playing Apex Legends and Overwatch and Call of Duty and all that. So, you know, they have some visibility into the development cycle. That said, I think, I mean, it sounds like you're from traditional gaming. And I don't think any, anyone who's been in gaming for longer than eight seconds uh, will, will, uh, dispute the fact that gamers are also hypercritical about the development cycle. So um, we've yes. just been you know, trying to maintain a lot of transparency. <laughs> we, we push stuff out a lot earlier than most AAA studios do. Like our, uh, our recent gameplay trailer was, you know, way, way before what we normally would show at a, at a AAA studio. Um, and we're just going to keep doing that and getting feedback from the community and showing them what we're doing. We're sharing concept art and really just bringing the, bringing the community along as we develop. Hey, Tony, and, and what's adding the Web3? technology to the gaming experience sorry i'm going to read back the question i think you asked well how does the web3 uh technology impact the gaming experience for shrapnel yeah yep yeah so uh there's a number of ways one um the equipment the gear uh the the stuff that you win in game the loot um you know is all on the blockchain and so it'll be uh ownable tradable sellable assets your guns your skins um uh, elements of the the world building, um, so that's that's the first you know most basic uh, element. Um, we're also a UGC driven game, and so uh, f- sorry for those of you that are not familiar, uh, user generated content. Um, we have a, a part of our game called the Foundry, uh, and that is our user uh, creation tools. Players are going to be able to create everything from uh, the decals and the uh, charms that hang off the guns to the skins that that play- other players can wear all the way through up to like new maps and new pieces of maps. So like if you're Justin, if you're like the best unreal engine bridge builder, like for some reason you just, you build bridges. Better and than I'm not. In the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, yeah. You might, you might not be, but someone is that person is going right. to be able to build like the best bridge in shrapnel. And then other people right. who are making maps will be able to, to use that bridge in their map. And if, if it gets used a lot, the people who create it will uh, be rewarded with our token uh, shrapnel. Shrap token or shrap is the name of the token. 
Okay, um, but what about what about like a lively uh, ecosystem of UGC like Sims Four has, or like uh, you know existed around? Um, oh, geez, any 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 number of of games. Are, are we going to be able to? Uh, when are we going to see a Web three game that allows that sort of thing to happen? On the one hand. NFTs make ownership an easier part of the equation, but it seems like it actually the NFTs and the fundraising that the way they are used for fundraising seems to in, discourage the kind of like for instance, I knew people whose whole jams were being modders in Skyrim. Like literally, there's like an ecosystem of modders making cool UG, UGC for uh, uh, for Skyrim. You know, when, when are we going to see a Web three, um, a Web three game that has that kind of vitality in its ecosystem? God, I hope it's us, Justin. I mean, that's that's the goal. Um, and you know what I would say is, uh, when you, you you bring up some really interesting points, right? And I talk about this all the time in spaces that I'm on. Um, what you just what you just called out is is one of the inherent challenges, I don't want to say problems, but challenges with Web3 games right now that I think uh, Shrapnel is doing a great job avoiding. And that is, um, there is an inherent tension between making a game and making an ecosystem because you as a company need to generate money immediately to survive and building that same ecosystem as a fully capitalized organization that can survive for years and, you know, give things away to people and make sure that they're really understanding how, how content and and money flow through the system. And that's, that's the position we're in. We're not, you know, we're not trying to, to make a million dollars or a couple million dollars on a mint, right? Cause our burn is much more than that every month. Um, our goal is to make an awesome UGC engine that you just described that everyone wants to use. And so we're not limited by things that would otherwise make um, this space, you know, like, like you said, unattractive for, for gamers, right? Like the concept of scarcity is a thing in NFTs, right? So if you release a bunch of content, and they, they accrue value, that content accrues value, and then you release different content, and the original content that you, uh, that you, you launched now has less value, in a, in a real money economy, like, there's potential for people to actually be harmed there from a financial point of view. And so we, we take that into deep consideration, and are des we're designing our systems around that, right? So um, I don't want to dig too into detail, because our economy guys will yell at me, but, there, you know, we will have the concept of um, things like, you know, like, uh, recouping value for items that you had no uh, say in the value change for. I, I won't dig much deeper into that, but the idea is that we're going to make it, we're going to try to make it as safe as possible for people to uh, start participating in this economy and uh, both creating and extracting value from it. Hey, so Andrew, how uh, are you? Sorry. No, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Jeremy. No, I, I was, I was going to ask, like, are you aware that the traditional games are going to enter the web three um shortly are you getting ready for that like what's your stance on that i mean i consider us uh to be frank that that kind of group i don't again like the people that work here um if you took web 3 out of our game the game i guess the game what i'm trying to say is the game would still be shrapnel if if uh we if it were five years ago and we were making it in web 2 it just wouldn't have the ugc elements right so like at its core the game is an extraction shooter, Escape from Tarkov, um, and, and and that ilk, right? Uh, and the people that are making the game, right, are the people that would be making those Web two games you're talking about. I'm looking at a guy named Mark Long right now, 
He worked at Microsoft for a million years, working on you know all of the all the Xbox products over there. He has launched a number of games on his own. Look at another guy over there named Colin. I think he was on uh, both uh, Bioshock and CS:GO. Clint, I think, was on also Bioshock and Halo. So like these are these are all folks that they've been in the industry for like 10, 15, 20 years making the Web two games you're talking about. So yeah, I mean, I, I do think that those brands are going to come into Web three. Um, and my sincere belief is that we're going to be there first uh, and be able to do a lot of cool shit. Perfect. Amazing. You know, just I, yeah. Go ahead. No, just if I could ask a question, Tony. I'm, 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 I, you know, I love gaming. I'm a big gamer as well, and I think that the crypto landscape really offers a significant advantage to gamers. However, some, you know, sort of the, the ability to move around some of the assets that I've spent my whole gaming time acquiring, my skill sets that I've acquired, how can I take those assets with me? However, sometimes when I talk to um, sort of real world, you know, sort of P2P gaming or PSP gaming uh, individuals, they really sort of automatically, there's sort of a wall that goes up when you talk about metaverses and you talk about NFT and and you talk about those assets. Why is that? I've, I've never really understood that. It's like, you've just spent hundreds and thousands of dollars on all these assets and you can't take them with you. And the game ends, you're gone. You've lost all of that value. So why, Stephen, why is that? Do I don't you, understand that. Were you, were you playing video games before mobile games were a thing? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah, still do. So the concept of spending thousands of dollars on a single video game just like didn't exist before yeah. mobile games and, and microtransactions became a thing. And, you know, I, I, I'm old, I'm 36, 37, so I'm, I'm gonna get the timing wrong, but call it 15 years ago, when we were going through this transition from a $60 video game that may or may not have an expansion pack that, you know, they charge 20 or $40 for, to a live service gaming, which, you know, was often free to play with a battery of microtransactions associated with it. When that transaction happened, it was, I would, I would say more visceral than what we're seeing now with, uh, with Web3, but it was very similar, right? Like you talk to uh, someone who played Diablo 2 religiously and say, hey, there's going to be a new Diablo game on, on mobile. And they would start cursing and yelling at you and talking about how you were supporting the ruination of video games and, and the whole industry was going to fall apart and no one's going to play any games anymore. And that's the exact same spot we're in right now with Web3 gaming. It's, it's new. It's weird. It has the potential to uh, allow gamers to enhance their experience through ongoing uh, either engagement with the ecosystem or frankly spend in the ecosystem. And that's scary because it, you, know, you can spend more than the $60. Um, and it also has this element of loss to your point. Like we all, we all look at the positive, which I still think is the right way to look at it. Like I have $6,000 in League of Legends skins that I will never, I, I had a daughter seven years ago, yeah. never play, I've played League of Legends in seven years, right? So I was just like sitting around doing nothing. The flip side though, is if I was actively playing League of Legends and my my PAX Jax skin, which is you know like a limited edition skin I got for a character at PAX East one year, uh, suddenly became less valuable because they released the the PAX Jax two skin or whatever, then I then I you know I'd be upset about that. I'd be frustrated. And so these are just like new challenges that like these companies, us, we're all the people in this space are gonna have to figure out. And I'm excited about it, dude, because at the end of the day, yeah. what we ended up with at the end of the microtransaction mobile gaming renaissance, as I like to call it, is like a whole different way of consuming video games in general. A broader audience, billions of dollars flowing into the industry. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen with this technology. That's great. Know. You know, 
I mean, we've had to change our uh, – what about the whole play-to-earn dynamic? I mean, Tony, I think you and I have actually spoken before about this specific game, haven't we? Or, no, I, I interviewed somebody else in your project, I think. Um, you know, instead, you've got less of a play-to-earn dynamic and more of – because we're kind of readjusting expectations and making it more about play uh, a play to – what is it? Play-to-own or something like that, like where you essentially are – You've involved like crafting and and participation with the ability to mint different levels of NFTs. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, yes, that's that's right. Um, uh, play to own is is a one of our uh, isms, if you will. One of you know we've we've taken and kind of made our own. Right. Um, uh, this goes back to the way that the company is structured and the way that the company makes money and and the way that we're capitalized. Right. Again, you talk about all the challenges and these kind of thinly veiled DeFi products that people call Web3 games. Um, and those exist because those those folks making games, I'm sure they aspire to make like awesome games as well. Um, but, you know, they need to be capitalized through the through their project um, as opposed to the way that we're capitalized, which is by investors to go make good games. Um, and so I think when, the again, the balance is more about Clint, the dude who made Halo 2, getting to make a really cool shooter uh, and Clint's who made Halo 2 having to come out with something that makes money next month. Um, Clint's just doing different stuff at those different companies, right? And in the company where he's got to make money next month, he might be make, he might be working on stuff that, that he needs to push out the door and sell in 30 days, as opposed to what he's doing right now, which is standing next to one of our concept artists, going over the way that the grass transitions uh, from one part of the sidewalk to another, right? It's like the, the, the level of rigor is just so much greater when you have the time and energy and, and talent to breathe. Well, just wait until they do a dot update and then you have to rebuild your entire environment over and over and over again. <laughs> That's what that was happening with me, Oh my God. We, I think we had to rebuild the city something like 27 times. Um, it's pretty funny just to get the light sources sorted out. But now that, that that's awesome. You know, honestly, like, like last question though, Tony, like, Let's be realistic. Um, you know, EA or Epic or Rockstar or whoever, you know, why aren't they just going to come along with their gigantic bags of money that they drag behind them everywhere they go and just buy a Web3 developer and just own this shit like if, i figure if, if web3 Fortnite is going to come from anywhere it's going to come from the people who are already bringing us Fortnite. is this going to be is this going to be a uh you know not a story of the little guy making it big but actually the uh the 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 uh, the, the giants owning the space is that what we're in for in terms of breaking out with triple a games in web3 i don't know man like Again, I, I do think that those are valid points, right? Um, but I, I'll say this. Uh, when Fortnite came out, Epic hadn't made a shooter in, in, a, while, in a while, right? Like, you know, they, they hadn't had a breakout hit in a long time. And Call of Duty didn't create the, the Battle Royale uh, boom, right? Like, the first Battle Royale game was, what, I mean, probably was the first one. But one of the first ones was the H1Z one. And it was by, like, a bunch of it was by a bunch of people like this in the office that I'm standing in. It was the guys over at Daybreak Games, I think, and it was like uh, John Smedley who who worked on the first EverQuest game and a bunch of his boys from from Sony Online Entertainment, right? 
and they came up with H1Z1, which five, four or five years later became Fortnite, you know, a land, landmark game in the industry. Um, right. And I, I look around here and I see the same thing. Like that's, that's one of the, again, I try, to, I try to talk about like the staff here a lot because it's such a weird, I've never been in a, at a company like this. I worked at Amazon for 15 years and everyone here is, I mean, by and large, like been in the industry, been in video games. I, I kid you not for like 10 years. I think some people have been in for five years. They're all kind of older. Like the, we all have kids and shit. And so it's just like a very different uh, motivation and environment here. Like I don't think there's anyone walking around this office trying to exit and get this company purchased by Microsoft. Like they've already done that. Mark Long is a bazillionaire. He worked at Microsoft for a million years. Right. And so our goal is to like, I just, and you know, I'm not, I'm not rich, but I worked at Amazon for 15 years and I was there when the stock split. And so like, I, I don't need to exit to Microsoft to be super happy. I don't think that most of the people here do like, I want to make cool games and I want to own the games that we're making. And like, that's, that's why I'm here. And if, if we did go sell to one of those bigger companies, honestly, I'd probably bounce out and go find another one of these things to work on. Well, you can see how, uh, you know, the DNA, the lineage of, uh, of the crypto world and the gaming world are sort of inextricably aligned. And really, uh, both spaces would be nowhere without, without the uh, individual innovators. Uh, in both cases, I worry about the monolithic, or, monolithic organizations taking over. I mean, obviously, how decentralized is it to be uh, bought out by Credit Suisse? You know, <laughs> but it could happen, but it hasn't yet. I, thank you so much for uh, coming talking to us about it. Uh, Shrapnel, where should people be looking for you? Uh, we are in the audience here. Shrapnel has a Twitter account, um, Play Shrapnel. Uh, and we are currently um, ramping up for a big surprise uh, that we're going to announce here probably this week. Oh, okay. Well, um, come back if it's Thursday. Get announced on the show. But uh, everybody, by the way, follow all these people you see listed as speakers are all amazing people that we have we have vetted thoroughly. Uh, as some of the more most amazing people I know in the space, please follow them. Follow J Rod, who is who is my rock in the show is is Let's awesome, go. and also our our crypto news editor at Benzinga uh, com. Um, and uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to shout out. I want to check in with rocks if we can, just because house of fine art says that they're here, but they haven't told me who is here. So I I don't know who you are. If you're present house of fine art, maybe we lost you again. So we'll skip over talking about their, uh, they've got sort of a fine art um, community that, that they've just launched a fine art Dow, but that'll, we'll save that for Thursday. Let's go over and jump over to you rocks. You've been at at the past, uh, couple of spaces and we love seeing you every time uh what what's new and exciting in, in the in the world of uh women in crypto and the world of nft is any artists you want to platform anything like that um no artists that i can think of but i'll have to take a think on that thank you um i'm just really enjoying this conversation i love uh talking about playing to earn games i was actually at the blizzcon in 2018 when they booed uh the announcement of a mobile game <laughs> that was coming out it was uh, quite a sight to see and um to be part of that as well um but i love having this conversation where i am providing like use cases for my friends that have worked at Blizzard now moved on to Meta and uh, other gaming companies. Um, Just how playing to earn is going to, I I wouldn't say it's revolutionized. I'm just speculating. Um, But I love that there's this 
sunburn and that we are able to own um, our skins and being able to um, sell them later on. And this is something that I love um, just telling them about with Fortnite. And I'm just like, can you sell them? Can you resell them to other people? And usually the answer is no. I was like, right. well, if you can, if you can find a game that you can do this with, then um, I think that more people would be willing to do it. But I just want to ask some of our speakers that we have up here, just with the most recent um, vocabulary that we've seen with Reddit, um, and digital collectibles, do we see um, a marketing opportunity here to change the NFTs and how we market them as digital collectibles to like try and gain a wider audience? So I'm just curious to see what the speakers have to say about um, that most recent um, success with Reddit NFTs. Have you been yeah. following the Reddit? Go yeah. ahead, Stefan. Yeah, I mean, apparently they have a lot of users taking, um, you know, already using NFTs. They got 3 million active users in the space of, you know, a really, really, really short time. I don't, I don't know what the timing was, but that was pretty amazing. I've been on Reddit since, oh man, yeah, I'll just show my age, but I've been on there for a long time. Um, I haven't figured out how to connect and collect my NFTs and get it yet. So, uh, and I've been on there trying to figure it out and just, I, and I can't pay with my points. So why not? Right. If I've got all these NFT points, uh, all of these Reddit points, why can't a karma credits, why can't I use those? I don't know. I believe that's a rhetorical question. I don't, I don't know the answer to the question. But I'm not yeah, I, 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 like, obviously. Yeah, that's a rhetorical question. Um, you know, I, I think that, like, I, I hope that with this transition, uh, rocks, we're, we're also just moving more toward NFTs that are community building, but without the same sense of like overwhelming, like, like frenzy of of people looking to. Uh, you know, a hundred times or a thousand times their investment to begin with. I mean, do you think that's part of the, part of the change here that like we've got more mature communities that aren't just about making money? Yeah, I think so. I think we're going to see yeah, I mean, less people. Oh. oh, go ahead, Tony. <laughs> I was oh, just going to say, that I think we're going to see. For the um... audience or for, yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead, um, Rox. Let's hear from Rox. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we are going to see more of these uh, community-based uh, NFT digital collectibles. Um, people have been commenting on the vocabulary that we're using and then um, just giving it some more time to like brainstorm NFTs and collectibles were truly successful. They already had that big community surrounding it. And $20 to pay for this type of digital collectible is easy entry and easy buy for a lot of people that bought into it. So um, just goes to show that these communities are really is what gonna, is going to be driving these uh, NFTs and digital collectibles for um, a lot of this successful projects that are launching them. Yeah, I mean, if it's about community and self-expression, I'm all for $20 uh, forms of self-expression versus uh expressing myself myself by spending $125,000 on a on a picture of an ape <laughs> for example i just an unpopular opinion there um but uh 
I'm, I'm sorry. Let, let's take let's take it back o- over to you, Tony. You, you you had a word on this, and I'm sure you're all over the NFT thing. That's part of your model too. Yeah. So yeah, I think that um, the the more that we can move away from using very technical terms to describe what we're selling to people and how they're using it, the better we're going to be. Um, you know, when you when you switch networks on your cell phone, rarely do you tell or even know tell someone or even know what the, the technical differences between the networks you're joining are, right? You just know that you're, you're joining a different brand of, of cell phone. Um, and I, I think we're probably going to benefit from that in the long term, especially for, from, from a gaming perspective, right? Like um, within, within games, like people don't, it, I, my, my uh, perspective is that people are not looking to buy uh, NFTs in video games, right? They're looking to buy battle passes. They're looking to, to buy content, skins. Um, and so the more that we can call things the names that people recognize and, and, and see in the, in the channels that they're used to seeing them, uh, the better off we're going to be. Uh, that's, that's just my, my take on it. I think the travel is going to reflect a lot of that. Like, I don't think you're going to see a lot of crypto verbiage inside the game, right? You're going to be buying, like I said, skins, map packs, battle passes, that, that kind of stuff. So like you're playing Rocket League or, or Call of Duty. Sure. And there's precedent for that. I mean, you know, EA is as, uh, has become, you know, uh, da- absolutely dastardly in its ability to uh, extract money from me in, in, in small increments. Uh, you know, this is something that the gaming industry already does very well. So, sure. So you want to address it? You want to hear a funny story? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Is so it about, it does it drag EA? I want to hear a funny story that drags EA. It does drag <laughs> EA a little bit, yeah. Uh, yes, so yeah, but a, I want to there's hear it. There's a guy in the audience with an SMB, a, a slot of monkey business, Rinkar. He's got a little hard hat monkey. Um, uh-huh. He's one of my good buddies. We we met on one of these Twitter spaces. I worked at EA Sports for a little while, and, and one of my good friends was the commissioner of, uh, of eSports uh, for EA Sports for a long time. And we were recently all in Vegas together, me, this guy Rinkar, uh, and my buddy Matt, and we were talking about our experience at, at EA Sports. And Rinkar is, uh, he owns a business whereby he um, bots FIFA and harvests millions and millions of FIFA coins every year and then resells them to people in Europe for like millions and millions of dollars. He's got like thousands of PS5s hooked up in a farm somewhere just botting FIFA like right now, all day, every day. Um, uh-huh. And we were we were talking to him in Vegas and he's telling he's like, there, the number of people at FIFA that we have paid money to to give us inside information from EA is just in, it, phenomenal, right? And so the, when we talk about like decentralization and transparency and being on the blockchain, that's actually one of the things I'm really excited about is like that that dynamic just like can't exist on the blockchain, right? Because it's everything's transparent, everyone knows what's going on. There's no way to to like get a leg up on anyone because you know someone um, from a from a chain perspective, right? Like it's it, you can go and backtrack everything. Right. No, absolutely. I, you know, I think that we'll be able to find the balance this year. I tell you, you, I can track the difference just in like the projects that I spoke to even up until last year. If I talked to a GameFi project, too often I would run into people who uh, could tell me all about the tokenomics and, and nothing about the game development process. Um, and, and that's changed, notably. That's good to see. It means we're going to get some good games this year. But I, I kind of want to uh, pivot over to uh, sort of like our, our one, one of our, our last topics for the day. We have uh, Ben Left with us. Hi, Ben. How are you doing today? 
or Benjamin left. Do you prefer Benjamin? I don't know. Oh, Ben's totally good, and I'm doing fine. Thanks, Justin. How are you? Good, good. So um, you are currently writing for a uh, an NFT publication, nft-today.xyz. You are a writer for them. And uh, you wrote about um, a little discussed open C hack from the, from this week, or open, or is it or should, is it more accurately uh, like an open C based scam, not necessarily a hack of open C itself? Tell me what went down. Um, yeah. So hey everyone, uh, Ben left here. Been in the space since 2015. Been all over the world, uh, working on all different types of projects. And, uh, yep. So again, currently a staff writer for NFT dash today dot X, Y, Z. We're a small media outlet. If any of you all have news or anything like that, please feel free to DM me. Happy to cover your story, things of that nature. But what, uh, I was discovering over the weekend while, while looking at open um, and some other NFT marketplaces, um, for six days, there was a scam account that was effectively preparing um, to fish OpenSea. So OpenSea was not hacked. Um, there was a phishing attempt. Uh, for those of you that don't know the difference, uh, one is just copying um, the site to make it look like it's yours uh, or it's it's the official site when it's really not. And that's what they did. And they only required a twitter page uh, and um a link to their to their to their phishing information so if you click to the link um it automatically asks you to connect your wallet and uh what ended up happening in a 24-hour period this started on friday and they ran it for 24 hours and they ran uh, they bought an account with 128,000 followers and this is my big problem. We can get into it in a whole another level with the Elon Musk and the blue check marks. They bought an account that wasn't verified. It didn't have a blue check mark. It was, you know, that's the one giveaway. The other thing, it was a totally different name. It was OpenSea underscore support. Um, and if you scroll down just, you know, from, you know, beyond six days before they purchased that account, you can see it was a dummy account that was just preloaded with bots and things of that nature. So these people either purchased or created the account and they reuse it, um, to scam people out of crypto or NFTs. So they made a massive post or they made a post stating um, anyone on OpenSea, uh, click this link to update your your wallet. That's that's kind of how silly we are in, in, in the world. You, you don't have a OpenSea wallet per se that you're updating. You're not you know, MetaMask may push out an update, but you, know, you have to actively download that. So uh it had 10,000 retweets, and at the end of the day, there were over, uh, I want to say, 100,000 NFTs stolen, and uh, we sent a question, to, what, we asked for a comment from OpenSea, um, they read our email, you know, technology, we can track these things, uh, 
37 times, 33 times, not a single response. And we took about 60 to 70 screenshots showing how fake it is and, and people, you know, uh, complaining after they realize they just got scammed out of everything and not 18 to 20 hours later the tweet was down there was no commenting the account is still up on twitter so shame on twitter and shame on OpenSea for not taking any action but yeah that was a phishing attempt totally preventable there i worked for kraken exchange before i mean they have an entire group called social watch where if you ever are tagged or you know their entire job is to do what i just did is to go in and look for fake accounts and report them um open has multiple fake accounts on twitter although this was the biggest one and this one took action and it's it's the negligence of the marketplaces, which I started to see in exchanges when I was working for Kraken uh, and Liquid Exchange and a couple of others around the world um, of just we just care about the bottom line at this point. You know, the customer service, the the response time, things like that don't really matter. And um it doesn't seem like they feel like investing back into their community and my personal professional and honestly what i think everyone's ethos should be in crypto is mass adoption um on a good side and this is taking 10 steps back and zero steps forward in my opinion uh on how terribly the largest marketplace nft marketplace in the world um, handled a hack or handled a phishing scam when right. they were informed about it. You know, it, it, do you think, Ben, is it because OpenSea at this point has become so dominant with these uh, PFP and, and generative uh, NFT runs? Like they're so dominant in their space, they're they're kind of the Amazon of at least that kind of NF, NFT, and you know try and get customer service on Amazon. I mean that like right, it, it, right. It, it's, it's well, no, I, I I truly don't. I I interviewed for position number five at OpenSea with Devin Finzer, the, the the creator of it. Um, I didn't get the position, but you know he didn't like a lot of things I said: regulations, customer service, things of that nature. Um, and he was open about it. He was very open about it. Um, so, um, it's not about getting to customer service. It's well, yeah, it is. It wasn't a priority. It was all about, uh, when I was interviewing for a C level position, it was all about fundraising for a marketplace, obviously that didn't really need funding. Um, and uh, that's what he wanted me at the, at the table for more than anything was was my NFT connections, networks to artists and things like that. Didn't care at all when I brought up communities, creating Telegram groups, Discord groups, competitions, and really having people engaged rather than just sitting on your website trolling, you know, for hours at, you know, 2D NFTs when there's... I mean, there's some animated stuff on there, but like you said, it's just the Amazon. To me, OpenSea is just kind of the basic place where you start, but absolutely in no way is it the best or even close to it from an NFT marketplace experience. 
It's just the biggest, just that first mover advantage. And when you have that advantage, it ties into your ego corporately and, and, and personally. Have you, have you checked out uh, what Rarible's done with the, with their kind of aggregator approach to Rarible uh, 2.0? Yeah. Rari 2.0. I'm super excited. Yeah, so I actually so. I think they're actually real, real smart. I mean, I'm I'm very fond of the one founder, Alex Salnikov, but um, I think it's exciting. It'd be interesting to see what comes out of that. Absolutely, yeah. You know, um, and and not just beyond the aggregator. It's you know, a lot of these things need to start becoming blockchain agnostic, and we can get into that discussion on on a totally different uh, day as well. But, you know, OpenSea just dominates these, these markets. And, and like you said, there's so many other great places where you can go that are that are smaller, but even safer. Um, they're not targets. They don't have a big red, big red target on their back. So, um, you know, we, we put out again, NFT dash today um, dot X, Y, Z. Um, and you follow us um, at NFT underscore today on Twitter. Um, oh. I follow myself and, uh, yeah, check out the article. We put in screenshots, um, oh. and, uh, you can see, you know, exactly what went down and how much open oh. really didn't care. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and, and sharing that story today, Ben. You're welcome. Anytime. Uh, great to have you. And thank you everyone for joining us, please. Again, if, if you're all just, uh, if you've been tuning in, if you've been listening, thank you for participating and making uh, these uh, these spaces stronger. This is our fifth episode of Crypto Open Mic, and it keeps picking up momentum, and we love to see it. Please do go ahead and follow uh, J-Rod and myself. And we got Tim Frost, Benjamin, we got Stefan, we got Tony, we got Rocks over women, women in, uh, in blockchain. Um, you know, lots of great minds here today. Love to have the, these open cross-disciplinary discussions want to point out that of course on december 7th we have uh an event called the future of crypto so all very positive very moving forward for our for this uh, crypto winter we're going through lots of lots of positivity it's in new york um it is uh benzinga's largest um crypto web3 summit and it includes a really healthy mix of major uh of major NFT projects, uh, including uh, Board Apes, a yacht club, uh, or actually it's like Boardroom, it's one of the founders, Board Ape Yacht Club, um, and uh, a number of other uh, ma major projects. Uh, we've got Polygon that's going to be there. We've got Cosmos and Osmosis are going to be there, uh, Algorand, and and lots lots of other. Uh, layer ones and great scaling projects and so forth. Very excited about it. It's going to be a great show. J-Rod, anything you want to add about our upcoming show? Yeah, that we're going to have great speakers uh, from Itoro, Alex Santo, Pachi Penguins. It, it, we, we have lots of speakers and please, uh, if you need a discount code, send to my DMs and I will send it one to you. I'm speaking um, as well. I just wanted to talk. So, yeah, ch check my Twitter feed, and uh, I'll be posting about it also. So, super excited. 
Yeah, be- Benjamin and Stefan will both be speaking at the event, actually. I think those are the only two speakers we have on the, the space of today, but super excited to have both of them. Like, honestly, like, uh, I was going to sound like I'm just, like, this is marketing speak, but but for real, I've been really impressed. Okay, that, that's really loud typing. If, if whoever, I don't know if that, who's doing the typing. There we go. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've been super impressed with, like, the vetting process. It's, it's been... Uh, it's been brutal in terms of putting the, these these panels together. There, there is no there is no fat to trim in, in, in these panels. We we've got uh, just brilliant people coming and being part of the show. So if you haven't gotten a ticket, please they they, they are still available. Uh, please get out there and and uh, you know DM me or whatever. I'll send you a, a coupon code. I think it's twenty percent off that we can get. I'm sure J Rod will too because we would love to have you there. Um, you, you want to wrap it up, J-Rod? Do you have any closing words for us? Well, uh, let's see you on Thursday at 13 p.m. And yeah, that's... Yes? We're, we're going to have EOS on Thursday, apparently, or, or, or Antelope. Uh, FX Network is going to talk and ta- is going to come in and talk to us about um, the, uh, the Antelope uh, Coalition um and uh essentially say you know bring eos out of uh the control of block one and into the hands of uh of the people essentially through their dao wow. so uh, i'm i'm very interested if, if you followed eos at all i'm uh very interested to see where they're taking that project i, I was working with a couple of eos projects like about four or five years ago i'd be very interested in seeing where they're taking it and uh you know what they're gonna what they're gonna come up with now because it it sounds kind of promising. Yeah, exciting to hear about that. That that'll be super exciting. Because-